Well, good day, and welcome to the Five Day Reading Plan podcast. I'm Lance Ward, and today, as usual, we'll be looking at some of the texts we read this week, and I hope you had your own observations, and I will share some of mine. And as we collaborate, in a sense, you will see and discover even more than you've read, and and, uh, I will just continue to read myself and see what I've read. So uh, don't forget you can download a copy of this reading plan in the description of this podcast. You can also find it at fivedaybiblereading.com. Well, we're in week 33, where we started the the book, the long book of Isaiah, also 2 Kings 15 and 16, the prophet Micah 1 through 7, Psalms 9 and 10, and Matthew 21 through 25. Isaiah and Micah both wrote in the eras of several kings in Judah, three of which we read about in 2 Kings 15 and 16, whereas Amos and Hosea, from the last couple of weeks, wrote to the northern kingdom at this time. When reading prophetic literature, and we need to know this because we're going to read a lot of prophetic literature almost to the end of the year. So when reading this kind of literature, it is important to ask, what's going on at the time this was written? And that's one thing I love about this reading plan. It, it sort of plops us down in the situations from which these prophets would arise. So in the context of Micah and Isaiah, we're in the reigns of these kings. Uzziah, also known as Azariah, a mostly good king, though last week's reading in 2 Chronicles 26 tells us that he didn't finish well. So we've got Uzziah. We have Jotham, who was a good king. But Ahaz was terribly evil and far from anything the Lord had commanded. Interestingly, Ahaz was very religious, if you think about it. He just practiced false and destructive religion, going so far as to even sacrifice his own children in fire, a common practice in the surrounding nations with their false gods. I I like to think of that. I like to, to know that Ahaz was religious just in the wrong way, because it's just another reminder to me that all religions do not lead to the same God. The only God, the living God, will not tolerate false religion and false gods, and for good reason. No God, not even the best ones we can manufacture in our minds, can be as good as our Heavenly Father. And so in the midst of that, here come Isaiah and Micah. Micah tells us not only what upsets the living God, things like Israel's rebellion in chapters 1 through 3, um, and including a rejection also of his word and abuses of power, as well as the sin of presumption in chapter 3, verse 11. Micah, though, also sheds light on the good promises God will one day fulfill to those who trust in him, even those who live among those who are corrupt. In chapter 2, verse 12, he says he will one day gather the faithful to himself. Also, one day he will gather Jerusalem uh, uh, to Jerusalem, not only Israel, but all the nations, where he will teach them his ways, and they will enjoy peace, chapter 4 tells us, as his strong nation. And then it says in chapter 5, a future ruler will come out of a tiny town called Bethlehem. He will shepherd them, and as chapter 5, verse 5 says, he will be their peace. After another rebuke in the beginning of chapter 6, perhaps one of the most memorized Old Testament passages arises. He has told you what is good and what the Lord requires of you, O man, to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. 
The preceding two verses, 6 and 7, are a great lead-in to this familiar passage. And if you're like me, you learn this passage kind of on its own. But go back and read verses 6 and 7 as a great lead-in to that familiar verse. Micah ends his book with a huge and essential question. Who is a God like you? And as prophets are wont to do, he ends his letter in the hope that one day our faithful God will make good on his promises. Then we started this week on Isaiah, which will be 66 chapters long. It's the fourth longest book in the Bible. It will take us three weeks, in fact, to get through it. So there's going to be a lot to take in. Uh, I've heard this, that aside from the Psalms, Isaiah is probably the most quoted or alluded to book in our New Testament. So in your reading, even this week, you've probably seen things that are quoted in the New Testament. Every week, you will recognize verses. Uh, Interestingly, too, some have said that the book of Isaiah is almost like the Bible itself because there's a few parallels. The Bible is 66 books. Isaiah is 66 chapters. The Old Testament of our Bible is 39 chapters, and the New Testament is 27 chapters, and Isaiah 1 through 39 is more like the Old Testament in its language, whereas uh, chapters 40 through 66, where there's a turning point in Isaiah, are more like the New Testament and include many references to the coming Messiah. Isaiah begins with a description of Israel's rebellion or Judah's rebellion, then moves to more predictions of restoration. The Bible, much of the Old Testament, humanity's rebellion, while the New Testament offers us the solution, salvation in Christ alone. So in those senses, Isaiah and the entire Bible have some parallels. So you might say, in a loose sense, that Isaiah might be a really good synopsis of everything we're reading in Scripture. Here are a couple things to watch out for and mark as you read this marvelous prophet. Uh, Pay attention, first of all, to how the Lord is identified. I, I this time, have a little blue marker, and I circled every time there's a reference to the Lord in some way. And the most dominant labels are the Lord of armies or the Lord of hosts. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Other references, too, like mighty one or holy one. Prophets often use vivid language, and they don't just call God just plain God. They will reference him in language like this. They will try to pinpoint in their words for God that he's the one and only God, and that's a huge message in Isaiah, that there is one and only one God. Look out also for hints of hope and a better future, which will follow often passages of judgment and wrath. And as you read the passages where the Lord's anger tends to rise, remember again just how patient he has been in the context of this book. Sometimes for generations he's been patient, and yet how stubborn and disobedient the people have been. Uh, You'll notice in chapter 1, verse 2, how Isaiah begins, the Lord has been a good father raising his children, but they have rebelled and turned their backs on him. The last verse of the book, 6624, repeats that theme. So again, and we learned this about Hosea, if you put yourself in his shoes, you will not see a God who is angry for no good reason, but a God of love who wants his people to trust him, who wants them to turn to him. As in all prophetic books we've read, by the way, pay attention to how they begin as there is almost always an indicator of historical setting. In this case, verse 1, we see that Isaiah is written, or he lived during the reigns of Uzziah, who was good, then had a bad finish. Jotham, who was good, Ahaz, terrible, 
and Hezekiah, good, with a little bit of something thrown in toward the end, but mostly good. Uh, And so our own five-day reading plan, we'll have already previewed some of those. We'll read more about Hezekiah as we read into Isaiah. And another quick word on the prophets in general. The main task of a prophet was to take God's people back to the basics, the basics they had forgotten or neglected, the basics of God's commands, his expectations, his promises. Prophets were sent by God to say to a disobedient people, you are going the wrong direction. You are headed for destruction. Turn back. If I, if I could encapsulate all the messages of the prophets, that might be a good synopsis. You're going the wrong way. Turn back. Well, back to Isaiah chapter 1, God brings his case against Judah. And notice in chapter 1, 10 through 13, it was not that they were irreligious, but that their lives were filled with meaningless ritual. They were doing what they were supposed to do, but their hearts were not in it. Their their lives were weighed down by sin, so their sacrifices were patronizing. They were empty. And to patronize God with empty religion can be worse than no religion at all. And yet again, notice the heart of God in chapter 1, verses 16 through 19. Turn your hearts back to me. The Lord longs to cleanse you, to make your sins as white as snow. And we see in this early message in Isaiah that God's heart is not our execution, but our repentance. Isaiah 6 is a very familiar chapter. That is where Isaiah kind of rewinds back to his calling. In verse 1, he says, I saw the Lord, and it would be unlike anything he's ever seen. After vivid descriptions of what this was like, Isaiah's response, he looks at the Lord and he says, Woe is me, I have become undone. In the previous chapter, interestingly, the Lord pronounces woes on the people, but here Isaiah pronounces a woe upon himself. He has become unraveled like a garment that has collapsed into a tangled pile of thread. Why? What has caused this? He says, My eyes have seen the Lord. Whenever a human being encounters God's glory in Scripture, he or she just drops. They have nothing to say. They have no defense. They just collapse into a threadbare pile of humility. But then, isn't this neat? What God does with Isaiah at that point. He does what he is wont to do when we humble ourselves before him. He looks at Isaiah and he says, Your iniquity is removed. Your sin is atoned for. Judah, in the context, was religious, but they had no vision of a truly holy God. Isaiah, though, truly sees God, and God responds with grace. In the Psalms, Psalm 9, verses 7 through 10 is reminiscent of Isaiah's experience, isn't it? It says, The Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for judgment. He judges the world with righteousness. He executes judgment with fairness. And then in contrast uh, in those verses, the Lord is a refuge, though, for the persecuted, just like he is for Isaiah. I get the message from both this psalm and Isaiah 6. Our God is both an impenetrable fortress and a soft pillow when we trust in him. He's a mighty judge, but he's also a gentle father, one who promises that the needy will not always be forgotten. The hope of the oppressed will not perish forever. Psalm 10 shows us how to talk to God when it seems that injustice will just go on and on and never end. 
For a lot of us, it feels that way sometimes. Are you comfortable laying out your complaint to God when it feels this way? The psalmist sure was, and he was also quite comfortable in calling on the Lord as his high king and protector. I find it so interesting that some of the psalm's highest praises come on the heels of penetrating honesty. And I have to remind myself a lot to not be afraid to be completely honest with God because he knows how I'm feeling anyway. When I express it to him, I'm just telling him something he already knows, but I think I'm becoming more aware of it myself. And there's something healthy in our prayer lives about telling God what's going on, about informing him in the form of lament sometimes or sometimes even frustration. Because when we can do that, I find that it often opens the door in the end to high praise and worship. You know, it's sort of that idea of life is really hard right now, but you are good and I'm trusting in you. But it's just awful. But you are good and you are a rock and you are a fortress. Often praise and worship comes out of the the valleys of sorrow and distress and, and anxiety. And we see that a lot in the Psalms. In Matthew 21 through 25, uh, chapter 21, we see things beginning to intensify. And I noticed how Jesus repels the unrighteous in the cleansing of the temple, but he attracts the desperate, the blind and the lame in the passage after. Of course, the ones who are healed up uh, end up rejoicing, but Jesus' opponents will have none of it. They were indignant, Matthew writes. And this is where things begin to heat up big time, leading to Jesus' arrest. In chapter 23, Jesus lays out various woes to those who have told the people how they should live, but have not lived it out themselves. He pronounces woes on them because their problem was not so much in what they said, but the fact that their lives and especially their hearts were moving in an opposite direction. He had exposed a reality that they had been covering up. The image of dirty cups and whitewashed tombs almost sends us back to Isaiah chapter 1. Things have not changed for some, have they? Their activities are deeply religious, just as they are in Isaiah, but their hearts are filled with nothing but self-indulgence and impurity. One theme we see throughout the Gospels is Jesus' strong language toward those who pretend to be righteous, but whose hearts are saturated by sin and by selfishness. Hopefully, this serves as a warning to any of us who are playing religious games. We may fool those around us, but we cannot fool God. I wonder if you're like me, do you ever ask God to reveal to you your own hypocrisy and and expose that so that he can deal with that rightly? Before the Lord turned my life around in 1987, I knew what was right, and I knew I was not living as God had wanted. I had grown up in church. I could tell you the gospel, but my life was turned inward toward myself. I wanted to be my own boss. I wanted to rule my life. I did not trust that God's rule would be for my best or would it, that it would be fulfilling at all. So, so what did I do? I kept saying, someday, someday down the road, I will get right with the Lord. Fortunately, the Lord acted in such a way that my heart turned toward his goodness and his grace long before that someday ever came. For that, I'm thankful, especially when I read Jesus' words about his return in Matthew 24, verses 36 through 34, uh, 44, I mean, 24, 36 through 44. Like me, there are a lot of people out there who are saying to themselves, I'll just wait until a later time, or maybe I'll wait until I know that I'm dying. But can we ever really know? Maybe we won't have a deathbed we lie on. Maybe we will die suddenly. 
Maybe today is our last day. Or maybe we won't even care about spiritual matters on our deathbeds. When I was a hospice chaplain, I visited a lot of such people, and the one thing I found in many situations is this. Whatever a person dwelt on most during their lives was the same thing that consumed their thoughts in their final days. So if by chance you're listening to this podcast and you're sort of biding your time like I was doing in college, I I urge you to heed Jesus' words. The time to turn to Him and turn over your life to Him is now. Don't presume a later time will come. You are not sovereign. You are not the master of your fate. Turn to Jesus today. One more observation before closing this week's podcast. In Matthew 26, 36, Jesus quotes the helpless and vulnerable that we may have served, saying, I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. And I just underlined those verbs there. You took care. You visited. He doesn't say, you healed me or you released me from prison. You see, because when we serve in Jesus' name, we're not always called to solve problems we can't solve. Most of the time, we are simply called to be present, to show someone that they are loved, to let those who are downtrodden and oppressed know that they're not alone, that God loves them, that there is hope beyond immediate solutions. And I hope you'll keep that in mind as you serve this week, that that maybe in your life, in your Christian life, you will find someone to be present with or present for, or a ministry maybe that you can tap into where you realize that I'm getting involved in this ministry, not to solve a lot of problems, but to just be there for people. So set your sights on that if you're not already involved in something like that in your own church. Next week, we'll continue Isaiah. Chapters 7 through 22, we'll also, we will also read Psalms 22, 62, 118, Matthew 26 through 28. So we'll finish the book of Matthew, and we'll start in the very interesting book of 1 Corinthians. We will read chapters 1 and 2. Hope you can join me next week. We'll see you then. Have a good week 34 reading your Bibles, and we'll see you next week to talk about it. Music.